Uh, we're continuing to look at the book of Genesis, and if you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28, you'll find that on page 30 if you're using one of the pew Bibles. Uh, Genesis chapter 28, and we're reading from verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Amen. We thank God for his word. Encourage you to keep the passage open as we would look at that together just now. Uh, but let's pause in prayer as we just come to that passage together. Let's, let's pray. Lord, as we come to reflect upon what is a very familiar passage today. We pray that you might give us insight. Above all, Lord, that we might hear your word speaking to each one of us, speaking to us individually, so that we know, Lord, that, that you have something to say to us, something that we need to listen to. And so, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. It's often said that there are certain moments in history that have been so significant that people will always remember what they were doing at that moment when that event happened. If you were around when JFK was assassinated, people would say that you would know what you were doing at that time. Similar could say you might remember the Sunday morning 
when Princess Diana was, was killed uh, in, in the car crash, and you would remember where you were when you first heard that news. And there may be uh, another host of silly historical moments in your own life that you will never forget what you were doing. Uh, we're just about to pro approach half term. And I can remember, I can't even remember which year it was, but there was one half term uh, quite a number of years ago when our kids were all very small, where we caused uh, the evacuation of a hotel in Edinburgh. Um, and that's not an event that I ever want to remember again, but it's etched into uh, my, my memory. But just now, I want to think about spiritually significant moments uh, and memories. Moments whereby God made a deep impression in your life so that that spiritual moment became significant and unforgettable. The reading, I believe, from Genesis chapter 28 we've read today is one such moment in the life of, of, of Jacob. I would know that it was an unforgettable event in his life because if you were to turn over to Genesis chapter 48, which describes some of the last moments of his life, and you were to read verses three and four, you'll see what Jacob did when he was nearing the end of his life and he gathered Joseph, he had been reunited with, one of his sons, and indeed two of Joseph's sons. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me. Now, um, and said, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after. This is uh, just a reminder of what this place, Bethel, as he renamed it, was to become for him a significant place that he would return to time and time again, so that this was part of those moments where or a place that became so familiar with Jacob that it was always significant for him. And so as we begin to look into this passage and, and maybe the, the way that we will describe and maybe hopefully remember what this passage is about, what I'm going to, and how I'm going to make our way into this passage is by thinking of this in terms of discovering God and what we see here in Jacob's life. And so as I would again ask you, can you remember that moment when you first discovered God as someone who was significant and was special and changed your life? I'm not even thinking the place or, or, or what was going on when, when you were converted, but really more so thinking about the experience of that, the awareness of that, the, the deep impression of, of that, so that you, or even those moments by which you would have remembered that even if everyone else in the entire world were suddenly to renounce Jesus and to, and to fall away from Jesus, is that you know, you know that I will stand and that I will follow Jesus. And what I find in, in Jacob's life in this moment 
is that whilst this was that place, I believe, for him, initially he wasn't even aware of it. Because when you look at how it begins, look at verse 11. And it's simply described as when he reached a certain place. When he reached a certain place. Because at the beginning of this story, Jacob had no idea that this place was going to be spiritually significant for him. It was just a certain place. Little did he know that the next morning when he would wake up, that the stone, an uncomfortable stone that it would have been for his pillow, little did he know that he was going to pour oil over that stone to remember the significance of what happened to him so that he knew that there was something special had happened in those few moments. And so as we begin to reflect on just what it means that he reached a certain place, I, I don't know whether even in your heart of hearts at times, there are occasions when you really weren't expecting God to do anything out of the ordinary. You were entirely unaware that God was even active in your life, but suddenly you've become aware that God is doing something out of the ordinary. Um, it may be that that's still slightly future for you. It may be for some people here that you've just come through that situation, that you know that God has been speaking and is being significant and is addressing you and has done something so that you're only beginning to work out the implications of that. And how it happened, as I note in Jacob's life here, is that it came out of, of difficulty because we know that his home, as we were thinking about just last week, he, he had been forced to leave. He had been pushed out of his, his home place. He was having to run away, literally with what he, was, he had on, on, on his own back and nothing more significant of that. So there was a sense, I believe, for Jacob that he was thrust out from what was comfortable, what was familiar. And in that deeply un, uncertain moments and that disorientation that comes, he, he, he probably would have been wondering what was in store for, for his life. And again, thinking how that might apply to us at times, could we ever be open to the fact that even in the midst of uncertainty and upset and chaos, that God could be getting you ready to do something special, something significant, something that you would never forget about again, and another thing that I read in this passage and, and what I notice just by reflecting upon what is in here is that up to this point, all of Jacob's experience of God would have been secondhand. There's no indication up to this point that Jacob had any real belief or personal experience of God. It had all been in either his father's life or his grandfather's life. I mean, let's think of that from Jacob's perspective. Jacob had the most famous grandfather ever. His grandfather was Abraham. And his father, Isaac, had figured in Abraham's most significant 
spiritual encounter because it was Jacob's father, Isaac, that his grandfather had laid on an altar and had raised a knife to kill him. And suddenly from, from nowhere, a voice comes and said, stop, don't sacrifice the boy. So that's Jacob's father and grandfather. And again, thinking about his father encounter with God. This is what Isaac said to, to Jacob in, in chapter 26 and verse 24. The night the Lord appeared to me and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. So don't be afraid for I am with you and I will bless you and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. But this is Jacob thinking about his father. This is Jacob thinking about his grandfather. And Jacob could say at this point is that none of that was real for me. Nothing like that had ever happened to me. And it's possible for some of us is that we could be in that sort of position, is that God, I, can, I, I know that you were real in my father's life and my grandfather's life, and uh, I can see what you were doing in their lives, but really, it hasn't become real to me. Possibly you today, and there will come a time, I believe, for all of us where we need to answer these big questions like, is there a God? Is God real? Is God significant in my life? Does God care for me? Uh, is God active in my life? And, and just focusing again in the passage that, that we've read today, look at verse 16. Because when he wakes up in the morning, it says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. It all changed for Jacob in one moment when he wasn't expecting it, and who knows for us. Even though we may have been following God for years, there still may be something that's deeply significant that God is doing in your life. You're not even aware of it. And suddenly you could wake up and you can find that everything has changed and that you've met God in this new way. So it's about discovering God. That's, I think, the, the theme, the direction, the flow that, that's in this passage. But what I want to tease out a little bit more is that when we discover God, what you've got to know is that you discover God on his terms. Because what we have been learning about Jacob over this past few weeks is that Jacob is the arch manipulator. If there was anyone who thought I can do whatever I need to do to get by, it's me. Jacob says, if I need things to happen, I will roll up my sleeves and do it. So Jacob cheated and Jacob lied and Jacob did everything he possibly could to get what he wants so that he is the arch doer. If there's anything that's gonna happen around here, I will do it and I will make it happen. And Jacob was a genius at that. And so as Jacob lies down to sleep, he always has this sense up to this point that he's always been making things happen. But now in his life, possibly he's out of his comfort zone because he knows that he's on the run. His brother wants to kill him and he's alone. He's been 
thrust far away from, from home, and he's not really sure of what's going to happen next. And so as we consider this passage, and again, I'm always drawing it back, this is what it meant for Jacob, what does it mean for you, is that you might consider yourself a bit of a doer, an achiever, making things happen, manipulating things, doing them as you want them to happen. You're the type who gets things done. You've always had your finger on the button, and yet maybe your experience of late is that certain things have been happening that you're not in control of, you're not sure about. You've lost control of what's up, and so you're wondering what's about to happen. And yet what we've been observing in the life of Jacob is that when you get to that point where actually you feel you're no longer in control, when you've got to the end of your tether, when you have no natural resources left to do what you need to do, it's then that God steps in. And so in this moment in Jacob's life, God steps into Jacob's experience. Up to this point, as I've been saying, he was always in control, trying to do what he needed to do to make things happen. But when he perhaps could do nothing more, God stepped in. And some of us are very like Jacob's, I think. We, we look for security in the wrong places. And when we get somewhere where we're out of options, God seeks us when we haven't been seeking him. God comes to us when we haven't been expecting God to come to us. And so that for you or me in these moments, it could even be that we're in a place like Bethel and we weren't even aware of it, just as Jacob wasn't aware of it. So, and just now I'm going to come to the most familiar part of this story. And that's what is described as Jacob's ladder. And I'm trying to think, well, what was this really about? And, and as we think about what Jacob's ladder was, what the vision in his dream was, and actually what's envisioned here isn't entirely dissimilar from many other people of his day and age. And there's a name for it. And the name, you're going to forget this immediately, but it's called a ziggurat. It's a nice word, isn't it? Ziggurat, we could say that all day. Uh, but what I think we were thinking about here is Led Zeppelin. So if you're familiar with Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven, okay? So we've got this sense, and what a ziggurat was, was a, a temple or a place built high up with stairs going up to it. And the sense was that if you want to meet God, you go up the steps and you get closer and you get closer to heaven. So that even when we go back earlier in the, in the book of Genesis and you've got the account of the Tower of Babel, and you remember that in that account, the people of the world, what they wanted to do is that they wanted to get close to God. They wanted to build a, a tower that will get the whole way to heaven. And so they built this tower. But what God came and God did by way of disruption 
and that God came and he disrupted their languages so that they couldn't build together in unison. And when they couldn't communicate to one another, then their hopes of climbing to God themselves were dashed and they could no longer do it. But what God was saying through that story in the Tower of Babel is that if you're wanting to get to God, you don't get there yourself. Because men and women, by their own ability, by their own thoughts, by their own ingenuity, cannot get to God themselves. But if you're going to get to God, God will come down to you. Because when you encounter God, it is on his terms. And as we think again about Jacob's ladder, perhaps the other song that's in your head is, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. I was tempted to sing that one, maybe with my uh, best Bruce Springsteen voice, but I'm not going to go there. And again, that song has got it entirely wrong. Because as you look very carefully at verse 12, you will see who is actually climbing on this ladder. And it's not Jacob trying to climb up this ladder because the dream in verse 12 says he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. You'll see this ladder, it's not about Jacob climbing up to God. It's about God coming down and speaking with him. It's the angels of God who are ascending and descending. This is God communicating with Jacob. And so again, this is actually going back to that image of the Tower of Babel. This is God reversing the Tower of Babel, because instead of men trying to climb up to God, God is very clearly coming to them and he's reversing the chaos. So when we look at verse 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Here is the promise of God of blessing and it's coming on God's term. This is mankind again in perfect harmony, but on God's terms, God coming to them. And so, this passage, I believe, is about discovering God. It's about discovering God on his terms. And for us, that means discovering God at the cross. Because the reality is the nation of Israel didn't do well. They didn't speak to God, about God to others as they should have done. They, they didn't make this a, a worldwide thing. They, they tried to keep God to themselves. And yet the fulfillment of all of this about meeting and encountering God is in Jesus Christ himself. I'm going to turn to the New Testament now. If you want to turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 1. And I'm going to turn to another very familiar image. And it's about Jesus going out and encountering his first disciples. And you will remember that when Jesus in this situation met Nathanael. And in John chapter 1 verse 51, he describes Nathanael as a true Israelite in whom there is no guile. But in verse 51, it goes on 
to describe what Nathaniel will one day actually see. And read it with me, it says, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on what? Not a ladder. On the Son of Man. Now that's very clearly a reference going back to Babel. Again, it's a reference which is pointing back to what Jacob has, but what it's clearly making known to us is that the stairway between earth and heaven is only in Jesus Christ and that the angels will ascend and descend on Jesus Christ. And that is the means, the only means with fellowship that we can ever have with God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. It is because of what Jesus has done for us when he paid the price, uh, guaranteeing that our sins will be forgiven and so that we know in him and in, and in him alone we have the security and the forgiveness of sins. It is through the death and resurrection of Jesus that grace comes to filthy, rotten scoundrels like Jacob and it comes to us so that we can be the people of God. And in a couple of weeks' time, when we gather at the Lord's table and we gather around that table, we remember what Jesus has done for us. And we remember it is through the shed blood of Christ that our sins are forgiven. And in those moments, we remember what Jesus has done for us, that God came to undeserving sinners and he revealed grace upon grace to us. And it always makes us ask that question. Have we come to that point whereby we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, just as these people who were at the front of our church a little while ago are testifying to today that Christ is the Savior and I come to acknowledge him and that Jesus is the one who makes a difference in my life. That's what this is calling us to. And if Jesus is making a difference, he, well, that's just what it is. It's a difference, even in difficulty. You know, ancient peoples, apparently when they built their homes, the first thing that they did wasn't so much about building the outer walls, but they set up a central pole. And that central pole, and then they built the the walls around it, and then they built the roof on the central pole. But the central pole symbolized for them the connection between the earth and heaven. And so when difficulties were coming, maybe they were being attacked, maybe it was simply a a natural disaster, what they did was that they ran into their houses and they clung on to that central pole because they believed this is where we connect with God. And so that in difficulty, they ran to that central pole. And for us as believers, the one who connects earth and heaven for us is Jesus. And so we run to that central pole And even thinking a little bit more of what the word disaster means. The word disaster is made up of of two different syllables. We we might say it's dis and aster. Well, that's two syllables in and of itself, but you know, two different parts of the word. Dis basically means away from, and aster means the heavens and the stars. So what disaster literally means is when earth falls away 
from the sky, from the heavens, so that whenever we get the wrong diagnosis from medically, that's disaster because it literally feels like the earth has fallen away from the heavens. Whenever you lose your job, again, it is a disaster because it feels like the earth has given way and you're fallen away from the heavens. Whenever your marriage is in difficulty, it, it feels like a disaster because again, the earth has given away and you're falling away from the heavens. In disaster, what do we do? Maybe taking the cue from those ancient peoples, again, as I was suggesting, we run to that central pole. And for us, that central pole is no one else than Jesus himself. And that's what Jacob encountered. And Jacob encountered that when he was least expecting it. When he lay down to sleep that night and the stone on which he set his head, his pillow, was uncomfortable. And that was a picture, we might say, of what was going wrong in his life, that there was nothing comfortable or easy in his life. But in the morning, read with me in verse 17 and 18. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the entry gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel. And he makes a vow. And he says, God is real to me. And God from this point has changed my life. His heart was broken. He was touched by God. Even in the midst of disaster. And what about you? You know, when things happen in your life, I'm going to pray that you will know that even in those moments, God is there. And that even though you might be unex unexpected and oblivious to whatever it is that God is doing, I'm going to pray that God moves in those moments so that you know that God is doing something special and something unique in your life, that this sense of disaster becomes useful for your life to pray that it becomes an unforgettable spiritual encounter, that God is alive in your experience. Let's just quieten ourselves before the Lord, before we sing our final song. Let's, let's pray. Lord, allow your word to sink deeply into our hearts and experience. To speak to us, Lord, even when we were not expecting it. To move in our hearts and lives so that, Lord, even this becomes unforgettable for us. To touch us, to move us, to draw us closer to yourself. That even in disaster, 
Lord, we know that we cling to you. And even when it might be difficult, we acknowledge the goodness of God. And we know, Lord, that you are working in our lives and those around us. So, Lord, show us Jesus. Amen.